The passage that Jay read for us this morning, of course, is the story of Paul healing a lame man. And instead of glorifying God, the crowd quickly glorifies the two men who did the miracle, verse 12. They call Barnabas Zeus, and they call Paul Hermes, which of course is appalling to Paul and Barnabas, and therefore they ask the question, men, why are you doing these things? They must have been thinking inside their minds, no, no, don't do this. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you may have received a phone call or you just heard some news and you begin to wonder, no, no, this can't be. This is all wrong. How could this happen? Someone comes up to you with devastating news that is completely off your radar, maybe news of someone who has sinned or has deserted from the faith or a broken relationship, and you think, no, no, how could this ever happen? It could happen in family, ministry. You hear the news, and you immediately get a great knot in your stomach, and it's hard, isn't it? We've all been there, I think, at times. Maybe someone you love has desperately made a bad decision, or ministry has just taken a terrible turn. I think in the evangelical world, the news of Ravi Zacharias, a man who seemed to be a major leader in Christianity for over 40 years, an apologist, a Bible teacher, a writer of many Christian books, where thousands of people are saved under his ministry. And in one day, his ministry is questioned by millions of people, isn't it? The news of his moral downfall is released shortly after his death, and you read some things he was a part of, and you think, no, what? how could that happen? Imagine the heartache within his family, the heartache of sincere believers that were associated with Ravi, those who came to know the Lord under his ministry. How did some of you feel when you heard the news? As likely many, even within this congregation, appreciated greatly his ministry over the years. Just think of those who might have been associated with Judas Iscariot. None of the disciples who lived with Judas for three years had any idea of his true character. Imagine those who had been invited by Judas. Come and hear the Christ. Come and be saved by the Christ. This is the Son of God. Imagine those who were possibly healed by Judas Iscariot because the disciples healed many during the ministry of Christ. I think of someone in the scriptures known as the name of Demas who obviously blindsided even someone even as spiritually astute as the Apostle Paul. Paul calls Demas in Philemon chapter 1 verse 24, he calls him a fellow worker in Christ. In Colossians 4, verse 14, Paul sends greetings from my dear friend Luke and from Demas. And Paul's not sending greetings from someone here that's recorded in the scripture of just picking randomly some of his favorite buddies. No, he's choosing names of those who have likely made a great impact in his life, those that he greatly loved and those he appreciated in the ministry but in a later book in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes, 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. No, come on. Imagine the knot in Paul's stomach when that happened. Maybe he didn't hear the, the news firsthand. Maybe he asked that Demas would assist him on his next missionary journey. And someone says, oh, you didn't hear about Demas? Demas bailed on you, Paul. And you think, no. Now, before we even get to this story this morning, there's immediately a couple of things that I think that come to mind. Number one, we need to be careful about heartache and disappointment. Those are things that are part of life, aren't they? Though God is sovereign, isn't he? He's fully aware of what believers are going to face in life. Something that you might be facing today, something that you may even be saying, Lord, how am I ever going to get through this? The Lord knew you would face this even before you were ever born. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, even before the foundations of the world, our Lord who loves you tremendously knows that you may receive a phone call even this afternoon with absolutely wonderful ecstatic news or devastating news. He knows that. And this day for Paul and Barnabas did not turn out to be a great day. This is not a picnic at the Pinery, is it? No, Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra, likely very excited about the ministry. They have the privilege of healing a man, and the crowd completely misunderstands their intentions. And in verse 19, Paul is stoned and dragged out of the city. This is not a great picnic day, is it, for Paul and Barnabas? And it's so easy for us to read this passage and to read in verse 22 where they strengthen the souls of many and believers and they encourage many to continue in the faith. And we read verse 26, they're granted grace from God to be able to do the work that the Lord has desired for them to do. And it's easy for us to read Acts 14 in just a few moments, isn't it? But far less easy for Paul and Barnabas to live that passage to live those days and those weeks as they pan out. Yet this was life and this was ministry that God chooses for Paul and Barnabas. Obviously, which included many highs and lows for them. Secondly, before we get into the story, I also see the danger in replacing Christ with man. Replacing Christ with man. Some of your Bibles have right over this section, idolatry at Lystra, because that is exactly what this is. I believe that this was so devastating to Paul and Barnabas that these people who were preaching to completely turned the healing and the message upside down, and they give glory to man and not God. And Paul quickly tells the audience, he says, in verse 15, I am only a man. I'm only a man. Because even good men, even sincere men, even upright men will fail, won't they? Even good dads will not always make the best decisions, will they? Even the best of friends are still very capable 
of acting extremely selfish at times, aren't they? And though we are encouraged to be the best examples to each other's, other as believers, our ultimate and our perfect example is Christ. He is the one that's to be praised. He is the one that we are to bring glory to. Commenting on the fall of Ravi Zacharias, John Piper made this statement. He said, don't let the imperfections and failures of men turn you away from the perfections and triumphs of Christ, who will never, never fail you. And this is not a free ticket for church leaders to sin. This is not a low bar of expectation for moms and dads or aunts and uncles and your influences in your families or your influence at the workplace. But the reality of Christianity is that we are only men and women. While Christ is perfect, he is the sinless human son of God. In fact, he is God in the flesh. And if in fact Christ did sin, Christianity does crumble, doesn't it? But Christ did not sin. In fact, he could not sin. And therefore, Christianity lives. And therefore, he ultimately is the channel of our praise and our glory. See, once our focus is taken off of Christ, fellow believers, once we take our focus off of Jesus Christ, Our concerns, though we may feel that we can justify them, become way off center in our Christian walk. And our lives in the church become spiritually ineffective. Our focus must be on Christ and Christ alone. John the Revelator declares that Christ alone was worthy to receive glory and honor and blessing Paul said that whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And yes, there is a great responsibility in the lifestyle of the Christian, so much so that Christ is glorified in us, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, and 12, but it is Christ who is glorified. It's not us. Likewise, Peter challenges the believers that their behavior would be excellent among the Gentiles. 1 Peter 2, 12 But then adds, why? The purpose. That the Gentiles would glorify God in the day of salvation. Psalm 115, verse 1, the psalmist exclaims, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So when Paul and ministry do, or when Paul and Barnabas do ministry among the people at Lystra in Acts chapter 14, the result is the praise of men and not Christ. And they are devastated and they cry out, Why are you doing this? So notice they need to redirect the attention of the people. Look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 14. Look with me at verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons. He gives all the glory here for God, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Yet even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Well, that's my two-minute introduction, I think. What's the issue here? What, what do we learn from this account? Well, this passage, there's a number of paths that I think we could take, but I, I wish to focus on only one and that is the danger of loving Christianity. And I put Christianity in quotations because I'm not talking here about pure Christianity. But the danger of loving Christianity, but missing Christ. See, there's a lot of excitement going on in this story. First, you have the excitement of Paul and Barnabas. They're coming to town, and the crowd here is obviously people who had some understanding of Christ, and they were likely aware of the resurrection of Christ and the stories of Christ, the healings of Christ, and that Paul was sort of front and center in the missionary efforts and teaching about Christ. And so naturally, when Paul and Barnabas arrive in Lystra, they're excited. Wouldn't you be? And we can relate to this, can't we? Maybe the excitement. Can you imagine having the Gettys at People's Church? Did you know that Christine, Kristen, Kristen Getty stood in this exact spot where I am standing here this morning? Imagine that, right? Or maybe someone like John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, is going to go to London or Toronto, and many of us would go down to see them. I would go. I know I would go. Or maybe you've been to a Christian concert. You drove somewhere, to, you drove four hours to see a Christian concert. Or you went to a seminar on marriage. Or the elders going to, together for the gospel or gospel coalition where you might have heard men like MacArthur, John Piper, or Albert Moeller, D.A. Carson. And so this attraction of Paul and Barnabas coming to the town of Lystra, we get this, don't we? We get it. And then the fact that a miracle is performed. A man is unable to walk, and Paul speaks, and immediately he springs to his feet. That would draw a crowd alone, wouldn't it? I think back when Life Action were here a number of years ago, the excitement of God changing lives, not physically, but spiritually. And we heard testimonies of people who were convicted of their sin or who were convicted and chose to be baptized or maybe just recommitted their lives to Christ. I can be a little nostalgic at times. I was looking back in my journal in October 2010, my first Sunday at People's Church. On the Monday, I wrote, Thank you, Lord, for helping Ann and I through our first Sunday at People's Church, though we were extremely nervous. <laughs> and then I wrote this. May the Revival Summit, I don't remember calling it that with Life Action, but obviously we did. The Revival Summit, might it be effective spiritually at People's Church this week? Because they were going to be there the whole week. 
On the Wednesday, I wrote, thank you, Lord, I'm beginning to feel a little better about my job. (laughs) Obviously, I was still a little uptight. Friday, we had a men's prayer time at 6 o'clock in the morning. Saturday, we had a men's prayer time at 6 o'clock in the morning. Saturday also, if you don't, if you don't forget, we had a home life cafe, cafe with life action later in the morning. I remember it was in the fellowship hall. Remember we were all in there. The Sunday following, I wrote, the Sunday a.m. and p.m. services were amazing. So many shared confessions. So many shared about forgiveness. The Sunday morning service was over two and a half hours long. Man, there must have been some angry nursery workers that Sunday morning. I wrote the following Thursday after 12 days of life action. The life action team is leaving today. It seems like people's church goes to church every night. Wrote that in my journal. And I, it's true. My first 12 days at people's church, we, I was here with you guys every day that for the first 12 days we were in church. Anne and I must have thought this is a very spiritual, spiritual church. I mean, we love that, don't we? What Christian doesn't love that? The excitement of God doing great things amongst his people. Who wouldn't love the baptisms here last Sunday, right? Ann and I were away last Sunday, and we watched the baptisms online, and our response after listening to those testimonies, wow, what a Sunday to have to miss, right? Who doesn't want to see God at work? And in this passage, there's no lack of excitement, yet it leads to a worship of not Christ, but leadership. And in this case, Paul and Barnabas. And, you know, we today can be very enamored with church. We can be so focused on a speaker or a baptism or the excitement of ministry that we, we miss Christ. Is, is that even possible? Could there be even those within this congregation who have enjoyed the ministry year after year, the children's programs, the fun that we enjoy at two-pitch baseball and going to our small group, and, or the music. Maybe a, a song is sung that just, just takes you right back to your childhood and, and you, you're just so satisfied and you reflect on the song And yet you still miss Christ. Because let's face it, church is good for us, isn't it? I I know the world would argue that church and traditional values are not always that good for society. But we know better than that, don't we? I mean, we don't want, who doesn't want their children to be taught ethical values or your children taught to be respectful? Who, Who doesn't want your teen to be challenged to be sexually pure or, and to enjoy a Christian marriage someday. Who doesn't want to sit under parent classes and marriage classes and to be challenged and to be encouraged to have a better marriage relationship? Who doesn't want to have examples around our families that show the value in, in hard work and persistence and honesty and kindness and or to go through a, a marriage struggle or to go through a sickness and have people come around you that love you and care for you. Who doesn't want that? People face hard times in Cuba or Ukraine and we gather together as a congregation and we raise money and we send money over to them. There's a lot of satisfaction in that, isn't there? Anybody who doesn't like all that stuff, right? I know you do because you're here, right? 
maybe those who stand back from the church, but most of us, once we are part of a congregation, we would agree that church and the people of God are a great blessing, are they not? But can we enjoy all that? And still miss Christ? Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And the Lord replies, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, didn't we sing some great hymns? Come on. Lord, didn't I work in the nursery on that life action Sunday? Come on. Didn't I teach Sunday school, Lord? Come on. Didn't I give my 10% every Sunday morning offering? There's another passage where a number of churchgoers are surrounded with blessing, and yet they miss Christ. By missing the truth of the gospel. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Look with me at verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of, of faith toward God. Look with me at verse 4. For it is impossible, as is in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. I believe this passage is a warning to unbelievers within the church of never truly receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. This passage gives a number of descriptions of these people. Verse 4, once being enlightened. Never once in this passage does the writer describe these folks as being saved. He never says that they are born again. He doesn't talk, he never says they're justified or that they've been sanctified. They understood the gospel, but they didn't respond in saving faith. Being enlightened here means that they'd heard about the gospel. John chapter 12, it also talks about where many believed in Christ, but because of fear they didn't confess Christ. There's no mention of them here in Hebrews 6 of them ever confessing Christ. These people greatly benefited from the gospel. They may have even had the privilege of a godly upbringing. They likely had the full benefit of knowing the word of God. And yet when it was all said and done, they walked away from the truth of the gospel. Or they might have even stayed, but never allowed the truth to dig into their own heart personally. They were not enamored with Christ, but they were enamored with everything around him and his church. 
Verse 4, they tasted the heavenly gift. They never fully embraced it, they just tasted it. Remember when David said, taste and see that the Lord is good, it's like someone discovering about Christ, but not embracing Christ personally. Wayne Grudem explains here that tasting is only temporary, he says. Tasting implies, he says, that something was tried to see if they wanted more, but they did not. A little was good enough. They huddled around Christianity, but they came to a point where they decided, you know what? I'm really good where I am. Verse 4, they shared in the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting word. Notice it doesn't say that these folks were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as it does in other passages of Scripture. They only shared the Holy Spirit. True believers are described as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does the Bible ever speak of the Holy Spirit being only associated with believers, but always that the Holy Spirit lives within the believer. So they're only surrounded by the work of the Spirit of God. They'd seen firsthand some of the miraculous things, like our passage in Acts 14, that were being done by the apostles, but they're never willing to ask the tougher question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. What does this mean to me personally? What does this mean to me as I sit here in this church? What does Christ mean to me? Verse 5, they tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Again, we see the term tasted. This speaks about exposures to the Scripture. This would apply to many even today that don't necessarily eat up the Word. They taste it. Is there an advantage in tasting the Word of God? Yes, there is. Because we gain from the Word much wisdom. Who was it in the Bible that enjoyed much listening to John the Baptist? It was Herod, wasn't it? He found it to be so interesting, didn't he? Possibly the scriptures motivated him to some degree, and it might have inspired him just to feel better about his heritage, maybe as a Jew and God's chosen people. But think of those today. Think of those today who have used the scriptures to write music, beautiful music who were not believers. Think of those today who have used the Bible to graft great messages, but found out not to be true believers in Christ. Think of those today that the Bible may have been inspiring them to live a better life, yet they never truly embraced Christ. Churches today who are far away from believing that the Bible is inerrant and yet they use the beauty of God's word in their liturgy and their services. And there's no secret that the lessons of Scripture in relation to marriages and family can be a great blessing to us. The Bible's call for forgiveness, the Bible's call to love, the Bible's call to live lives of humility, to live with biblical principles in the workplace, to live with biblical principles in the society can bring much admiration to us. If you live with biblical principles in the workplace, you often will move up in the workplace. They're all qualities that many might embrace. 
but never decide a question about Jesus Christ. I have a friend, I had a friend in high school who was always a keen, had a keen interest in the scriptures and even well after high school, we would get together to wee hours in the morning and he would ask me question after question about Christianity. And he witnessed the life of my mom and dad who loved the, loved the Lord tremendously and he saw so much of the blessings of Christianity. Yet ultimately it was shown that he was only, inf- only in- interested in the information of the Bible and the blessings of the Bible and yet did not desire the transforming person of the Bible, Jesus Christ. Verse 5, it says, they tasted the powers of the age to come. They had witnessed the power of God in the church. They saw the changes. They saw the effect of Christianity. Therefore, knowing it would grant wisdom to them of even what might be lying ahead in life, they they gained insight through its knowledge. They gained great understanding. Again, these are not people who have lost their faith. These are people who are unsaved, who have completely now turned their back on the faith. And therefore, they forfeit the opportunity of ever being saved. MacArthur says these are unbelievers who are in danger of losing the opportunity of ever being saved. In other words, they had come to a point where the message of Christianity was exciting to them, but ultimately it's rejected and it's not embraced. Think again of someone like Judas Iscariot who walked with Christ for three years. Surely he saw the reality of Christ. He saw the miraculous. Yet it still did not move his heart to fully embrace Christ. I remember one of my sons giving his testimony at a youth retreat while he was 18. And I remember after the meeting, I remember the speaker going up to him and said, Son, don't ever lose that soft heart towards Christ. And much of this passage is a warning on focusing on much of what Christianity has to offer us, but missing Christ. And true, there may be a number here this morning who attend church, but you know deep in your heart, you personally have never embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I would say to you what the Bible would say to you, brother, sister, today is the day of salvation. You need to receive Christ. But I also understand that the majority of us here this morning love and serve Jesus Christ, and it's your desire to serve Christ the rest of the days of your life. But we can still learn from this warning in Hebrews 6, can't we? And this warning in Acts chapter 14 that reminds us to always place Christ first. That it's Christ who receives ultimate glory. Why do I do ministry? Why do I strive to be a good dad? Why do I strive to be a good husband? Why do I desire to work hard? 
because I, I love myself and want to do well? Well, there's actually nothing really wrong with loving yourself. The Bible assumes that we would love ourselves, though not at the expense of others. Do I do it because I love Anne? Well, the Bible commands me to love Anne. The Bible commands us to love our wives. Do I do it to love my children? Well, the Bible commands me to love my children. The Bible commands me to love the people of God. The Bible commands me to love even my enemies. Or is it that I just love going to church? Well, I do love going to church. I love going to church. It's a good thing, isn't it? The Bible says that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Who doesn't want to be in church as a believer? Or that I love Christian music? I love Christian music. What a blessing to be able to sing Christian music here this morning in church. But none of these things can ever compare with our highest calling. Because anything that comes on the same level as our love for Christ and our desire to serve Christ is idolatry, according to the passage. The Apostle John wrote these words. Are they up there this morning? Maybe they're, they're not. Are they? Not up there. Let, let me read them to you. They're there. Okay. Let's, let's read them together as a congregation. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, I'm going to read it for you. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then the passage goes on to say, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down their faces, and they worshipped who? Christ. They worship Christ. Let's pray. Lord, might our motivation in life, might the words that we speak and the things that we do be for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. And I pray for all here this morning to understand that Christianity is not primarily about, Christ, about church or family or fellowship or friendships. Though those are often great blessings and necessities within Christianity. But Christianity is Christ. And giving one's life to Christ and living for Christ and making Jesus Christ Lord. And therefore, might, might this be the very heartbeat of our beings, knowing that we have the privilege of loving Christ 
and therefore glorifying Christ, and that we might be known as a people above all people who proclaim Christ alone to our community. Lord, because you are such a great Savior, and you are such a great God, and all God's people said, Amen.